Christianity because of what I found is a lot of people uh, grew up seeing a Christianity was, that was really not based on what Jesus laid out for us. In fact, if you were like me, you grew up in a church that had their fundamentals, had nothing to do with what the Bible said. They, if it was fun, it was a sin. Basically, that was their fundamentals. Uh, you know, in the church of God, here was their fundamentals. They taught against dancing because it might lead to sex. No, that's, that's not true. That's a little humor there. So, <laughs> so if you grew up in church of God, you're like, okay, I get that joke. Um, but we saw, you saw a lot of things played out. So I thought, let's get back to the basis. What did Jesus say a life following him looked like? What were the fundamentals that Jesus said we need to get down? Week one, we talked about the Word of God, how it is vital for every believer's life is the Word of God. Don't, don't say you believe the Word of God or hold it in high esteem if your lifestyle is not showing that. Here's what Craig Rochelle calls those people, Christian atheists. They say they believe in God and what he says, but their life tells a different story. And we talked about the Word of God says it, that's the, that is the final determining factor on our lives. Not society, not culture, not what people think. What does God say about it? Week two, we talked about repentance. Repentance doesn't get talked about a lot anymore because most people, especially outside the church, they hear the word repent. They think of that person standing on the corner holding up a sign telling you you're going to hell if you don't repent. And they usually do it in a tone that it seems like they're happy you're going to hell. Uh, but repentance comes from a, a Greek word, metanoia, meaning a change of mind, a change in your paradigm. Uh, in fact, it was a military term, meaning about face, meaning you turn and go in the opposite direction. And repentance, we learn, restores relationship. Last week, we talked about this community. That is a fundamental that a lot of people miss out on. Community is vital for a believer's walk. And we talked about how you are probably one community away from changing the trajectory of your life. Not just your life, but your kid's life, your family's life for generations to come. One community away. Uh, we talked about how um, you, you're, not, you're not only called to have a personal relationship with God, but also a shared relationship with God. That takes place in community where we do life together, we serve together, we hurt together, we cry together, we celebrate together. Today, I want to talk about a fundamental that, man, it's near and dear to my heart. But sadly, I think a whole lot of Christians think this fundamental is optional. They think it's just optional or they think it's a style or they think it's a preference. And we're going to talk about worship. Because here's what I know. Everybody in this room is a worshiper. Everybody. Kelly, I'm not even a believer. You're still a worshiper. I'm an atheist. I'm agnostic. You're still a worshiper. We were wired. Deep worship is in our DNA. Let me give you a couple of definitions for worship. Here's what uh, worship, the first definition. To honor or show reverence for as a divine being or supernatural power. You say, well, Kelly, if that's the definition, I'm definitely not a worshiper because I don't even believe in God, have a relationship with him. That's fine. But here's what Merriam-Webster, 
Here's their definition for worship. To regard with great or extravagant respect, to honor, have devotion, extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem. You're a worshiper. I'm a huge Tennessee ball fan. Huge. Good years, bad years, I'm a huge. And you've heard me refer to when I go to the games uh, about being at a worship service with 100,000 plus people. And I'm not joking, it is a worship service. Because you've got 100,000 plus people all focused and they're there for one team. For one goal, they esteem that team. Or they, they hold that team in high regard. And, and so may, maybe you say, well, uh, can I tell you? ever know someone, and you can tell if, if somebody holds that team in really high regard or worships, because that team can lose. It changes their attitude and mood, not just for a day, but for weeks. Isn't that right, Hunter? Anyone, no, no, let's go. Isn't it? <laughs> I'm just giving him a hard time. But it does. I, and everybody is, is that way. I'm going I'm to I'm throw myself under the bus. I remember at one of our discipleship groups meeting. Um, we had just beat ten, Alabama. Tennessee had just beat Alabama. Listen, that is, that is the parting of the Red Sea for us. Finally. Well... Man, we, we, we beat them that weekend. Monday, I come in for my discipleship meeting. I'm pumped, and I'm, I'm Mr. Pastor. I'm Mr. Holy there. And, and one of the guys, we start talking about it. He says, boy, Tennessee, all they got was lucky. Without even knowing it, this godly pastor of yours looked at him and said, you're full of... And, and I didn't say crap. <laughs> what did he say? Well, I didn't hear what they said. But anyway, so I had to apologize because I'm a pastor, even though I meant it. Uh, every word of it. <laughs> I, had, I had one of our men come up to me after the night and said, Pastor, was, was I that guy? <laughs> I said, no, it wasn't you, and I told him. He said, that was my second thought. Because <laughs> so, they just don't know better. They're not from the south. They don't know better. We get people from California, from up north, and they just don't know better. they got to learn their ways. You don't mess with a Tennessee ball fan. So anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I'm about to get in trouble. Let's move on before I get in. But, but as we're doing this series on the fundamentals, I think we need to understand, as a follower of Jesus, worship is a fundamental that we cannot afford to miss out on. Uh, see, worship isn't about style. It's not about personality, whether or not you're an emotional person. By the way, we're all emotional people. Don't tell me you're not emotional. Let somebody say something or do something to your child. And we find out how emotional you are. Come on now. Because we're all emotional beings. That's the way we're wired. That's the way we are made. So we are emotional. It's just what are we emotional about? Come on. 
And I think we need to understand as a follower of Jesus, we need to, we need to acknowledge that despite your personality, your style, we are called by God to worship, and worship is not an option for us. So what we do here on Sunday mornings, guys, with Bob and the team, what they do is not just a filler or to entertain you. We actually believe that when we worship and come together, man, Holy Spirit shows up. And he can do in that moment what none of us can do. And, and, and that when we worship, that brings that in. That, brings, that welcomes him. And he can change marriages, relationships, things in our life when we worship. Well, PK, I can't sing. Well, that doesn't stop you when you're out somewhere and that certain song comes on. Well, Kelly, I have to admit I've got a little bit of something in me. Then, then. Well, how about getting the spirit spirit in you? Let's move on. I'm going to get in trouble. Well, I'm just not an emotional person. Well, we've already tackled that. You are. You come unglued. You, somebody posts something about your political party, and you forget you're a Christian. You identify more with them than you do Christ. Anyway, oh, I'm about to get in trouble. Let's go on. Worship is in our DNA, though. Singing is in our DNA. I've been to several concerts, Christian and secular. Come on. And there's always that one song that the band goes into. The whole place erupts. Come on, anybody experienced it? So I, we're going to do an experiment today. Bob, can you help me? Listen, I thought. Well, because the last service, you know. So, and I'll just tell you, 9 a.m., killed it. 11 a.m., let's find out. And you're... All he had to do was start, and you recognized it. Start, start them out, Bob. Just a small town girl. What? Y'all are a bunch of heathens, man. Y'all go. Y'all go. Let's, let's try. This is stuff that I just, we just learned this before today. We didn't know any of these songs before today. Where it began, I can begin to know it. But then I know it's growing strong. it the spring as spring became the summer who'd have believed you'd come along here we go hands what touching hands reaching out touching me touching it
He really likes that one. I notice how everybody knows that. Uh, let, let's try this one, Bob. Bob, you going to help me on this one? Because last time you did not. Yeah, let's do it. You said don't do it, but I think this crowd is different. I think they'll know it. I got a little change in my pocket going jing, ling a ling. Wanna call you the telephone, baby, and give you a ring. What? But this time I, I get the same old thing. Always no hugging until I get a wedding ring. My honey, my babe, don't put what she said. I told you. I told you. Let's do your. Um. Say we will, we will what? Say we will, we will rock you. Come on, buddy, you're a boy. Make a big nut. No, let's go. On. I threw Bob off a little bit. He's like, uh, all I know is we will rock you. One more. And I know this crowd. They do this at the Tennessee game. Let's see. Blame it all on my roots. I showed up in boots. Wow. The last one to know. The last one to show. I was the last one. These are the devil people right here. Everything I heard about them is true. Listen, here's what I find odd. You know, we, we had a little fun. That kind of singing, loud, just unadulterated passion, is okay when we do those songs. We're in, at concerts, it's okay. At stadiums, it's okay. We're, 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 but when we come in here, for some reason, we're a little more reserved. Are you hearing me? Bob and the team at times feel like cheerleaders trying to get you to sing about God. Trying to get you to sing about His goodness, about His love and His grace and, and, and everything that He's doing in our lives. And, and, and it's funny because when we come in here on Sundays or Wednesdays, we start, we're singing about the person that should be the most important person in our lives. Are you hearing me? No, we're singing about someone that loves us when we were unlovable, that was faithful to us when we were unfaithful, that showed us grace upon grace upon grace. Yet, man, we can be so unmoved by God, so unmoved by His extravagant grace. And the love that he's given us, unmoved by his faithfulness. Well, well, PK, it's just a little louder than what I prefer. Listen, I get that. That's why we give out earplugs if you need them. I'm serious. We understand it can get a little loud in here. So, we, hey, it's not offending me. In fact, Denise and I, you remember this in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. There was a lady, now this lady just was mean. But she would come up on the front row. And would take out a tissue paper 
wad it up, and stick it in both of her ears on the front row with it hanging out. Is that not true? She was the devil. I'm convinced of that. But we do. Well, well, PK, it's not my style. I'm more of a him person. I get that too. I, I get it. Or I get distracted by the lights. I get distracted by that person over there doing that or this over here. Can I tell you, I've never been to one Christian concert, secular concert, sporting event where I, the people I was sitting by said, you know, I just can't enjoy this because it's too loud. The lights are distracting me. This person over here is getting on my nerves. No, in fact, I sit by people that I do not know. I sit by people sometimes that are smelly. Because, come on, we live in Tennessee. I sit by people that sometimes are nasty, that show up at, that, that show up at Dollar General store in their underwear or their pajamas. I, that's where I come on. See, y'all didn't laugh because some of you, that's y'all. But yet, I do not have a problem. They think different than me. They believe different than me. But for two and a half, three hours, we are not focused on me or them. We are focused on what's going on up there. Come on, guys. But in the church, that's well, it's, uh, too loud as this. And, and I'm not saying that your feelings or thoughts aren't valid. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying maybe there comes a time when we should put off our personal preferences and take a moment to realize that God of the universe is in this building. And we ought to put our focus there. But what is it? And let's be honest. What is it about worship that can make us uncomfortable? Or very opinionated. Very opinionated. Well, I think it can be found in Isaiah chapter 6. If you got your Bibles, turn with me there. If you don't, I'm going to put it up on the screen. And this is where one of God's prophets finds himself in the middle of a worship service. I mean, it is going on. And I think there are some reasons in here we can look at that finds a lot of times why we don't really want to worship where it makes us uncomfortable. Check it out, starting with verse 1 of Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Does that sound, not sound like a great worship service? I mean, going back and forth. Holy, holy, holy. Look, let's look at back, back at verse 1 and 2. In the gear that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted. Seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Where did Isaiah, Isaiah see the Lord? Where? High and lifted up, exalted on the throne. If it's high and lift, if it's high, where do I have to look? The first thing that true worship does, it forces us to look upward. True worship. Forces us to look upward. See, when we begin to look up, our attention, all our focus is not surface level anymore. 
It's not what's going on right here in our own little world. No, it becomes on him and him alone. True worship shifts our focus. It shifts our focus away from what's our current situation, our current problems, what's going on at home, what's going on at work or school, what so-and-so said on social media. My worship, when, I, when it forced me to look upward, my worship becomes not based on my personal preferences, likes or dislikes. It becomes all about Him. All about Him. See, a lot of times we let our worship be determined by things that are going on in our life. And by being forced to look upward, it shifts that. And, it, and then, because we're looking at, man, the economy's bad, the government's doing this, so-and-so's doing this, work is terrible. But when we look up, we say, oh, man, God, you are so good. Wow, God, you are holy. You are righteous. And it takes our attention off us, what's going on in our world, and puts it on him. The second thing true worship does, it forces us to look inward. And I think this is a big reason why a lot of people, it, worship makes us uncomfortable. Isaiah looks up, he sees God seated high, uh, exalted. He sees and hears the seraphim going back and forth. Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then look what happens after he looks upward. Verse 5. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When Isaiah is forced to look inward, he sees who he really is. Not the mask that he wears into a church service. Come on. Not the pretension of, hey, this is what I want people to see as I walk in. But he begins to see himself for who he really is. We are a nation, a culture that is obsessed with how people see us. Obsessed. That's why on social media, all, listen, all that anybody puts on social media is what they want you to see. What they want you to know about their life. We only put the best out there. No one's as life, I'll say this, no one's life is as perfect as what their social media account says it is. Why? Because they're not showing you the dark side. They're not showing you the fight they had with their spouse. Or the way they hollered at their children. They're not showing you the night before when they struggled whether, whether or not to take a pill or a drink. They're not showing you that night when they were up late so they get on their com uh, computer and, and begin chats or going to places they shouldn't be looking. Are you hearing me? That's not the stuff we show. We show the highlight reels. See, but when we look inward, we're forced to admit that, man, this is not real. Here's what's really going on in me. You see, when we come into God's presence, there is no filter that can make us look better than what things really are. Because here's the truth. We all have blind spots. And you know why they call them blind spots? Because you can't see them. Worship reveals those to us, though. 
And I believe that's what the psalmist was experiencing, what he was saying in Psalms 139, 23, 24. Look at this. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test. Why is he saying things that may be hidden in me? Because he knows, hey, in your presence, God, there are going to be some things exposed that even I forgot about. Things in me that need forgiven that I forgot about. He says, expose everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test. Sift through all my anxious cares. Get this. See if there's any path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious, everlasting way. The path that brings me back to you. The psalmist, he looked up in worship, but then that caused him to look inward. And he said, God... I invite you into my heart, into the places that I don't allow anybody else into, that I don't want anybody else examine every part of me. He said, God, do whatever you need to do to bring me back to you. See, true worship forces us to see us for who we really are. You begin to see things in your heart or your life that at one time you were okay with those things. They were normal. That's what you saw. But the closer you get to the heart of God, you begin to see, but here's what God says about it. And I can't be this way anymore. I can't do this anymore. Or, or during that worship, it exposes some things that you've done over and over. And because of that, you've grown numb to the work of God in your life. And what, what happens is in that worship, you begin to look inward. Well, that numbness begins to fade away. And that's why I believe a lot of us don't really won't worship because if those places are revealed in us we're forced to deal with them we're forced to deal with them look again at what happened when Isaiah began to look inward he said woe to me I cried I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord almighty says I'm ruined the NLT says it like this, it's all over. I am doomed for, for I am a sinful man. And I believe, again, that's why a lot of Christians even here don't worship because they don't want their true self revealed. Like we can hide anything from God anyway. We want comfortable. And seeing ourselves for who we really are Seeing things in ourselves that God is saying has to change is not comfortable. But can I tell you, it's a great place to be. See, we don't want to acknowledge the ugly parts of our lives. We don't want people to see our ugly side, mainly because we're afraid of judgment or that people will look at us different. That's why I've got to the place, listen, I'm just going to let you know I'm as human as I'm liable to tell somebody they're full of it as quick as anybody else. Well, because it's not in the dark anymore. It's in the light. And when it's in the light, God can bring healing. Are you hearing me? And what, what is amazing to me about this? Because, he, he, you know, Isaiah says, man, I'm sinful. God, I'm sinful. And I live a bunch of sinful people. But when Isaiah saw God, and saw himself for who he really is. God never once condemned Isaiah. God didn't begin to tell Isaiah how bad of a person he is. 
And, and, and Isaiah, when he saw this, his immediate response was what? Repentance. Metanoia. A changed mind. God, this is, this is me. I don't want this. Let me go towards your heart. Isaiah said, I'm a sinful man. I live with sinful people. You want to see the heart, Father's heart for broken people that, that, that will allow him to see into them until they say, you know what, here's who I really am. Look what happens the moment Isaiah repents. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are forgiven. No judgment, no condemnation, no you should have known betters. The moment Isaiah confessed his sinfulness, he experienced grace and mercy and forgiveness from the loving God. See, that's what happens when we really worship. When we're forced to look inward, God can begin to do a healing. The third thing worship does, and this is it, true worship forces an outward response. An outward response. Just like going to a concert. Just like going to a sporting event. I'm going to tell you, every time Tennessee scores a touchdown, guess what? I have an outward response. I was watching Tennessee play Texas in basketball yesterday. And Tennessee's not in football, but yet I was going. Why? Because I value my team. I want to see my team do well. And there's this outward response. In the 9 a.m., we started doing those songs, and there was a couple people automatically took their phones out, put their lights on, started doing this. Why? It prompted an outward response. It prompted that. Look at verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. What is Isaiah's outward response? It's this. God, whatever you want from me, I'll do it. What you've done to me, I'm going to outwardly express it with gratitude. With everything you've done for me, who am I to stand here and not express it? Whatever you want. True worship is about seeing and recognizing the worth of God in your life. And when we see that, our only response is, I just got to give you my best. It's not much, God, but here it is. It's my best. I'm telling you, worship isn't about whether or not you can sing. It isn't about how you were raised or brought up. Listen, a lot of this is new. My wife grew up Baptist, and a lot of this became new to her at one time. But worship isn't about those things. It's not even about whether you're worthy or not to do it. Worship is about when we shift our focus. And in that moment, it all becomes about Jesus. See, worship is within that moment, we stop caring who we're sitting beside. We stop caring about who may be in the crowd that day or what anybody may think about us. And all those concerns are out the door for that brief moment. And we look up and say, God, it's all about you in this moment. Listen, I understand we've got people that this is new to. 
Like I said a while ago, this at one time was new to my wife. You know, one of my favorite things, Paul, man, Paul Wallace, when he first, this was all new to him. And this was his initial stance there in worship. But I watched things shift in Paul's life. To where now any given day, this is his posture in worship. I tell you, it's not about any of those things. It's not, and I understand we've got people this is new to or that was brought up. We've even got people here that may not even have a relationship with Jesus. I understand that. But here's what I know about Holy Spirit. When his kids begin to worship, when his kids begin to love on him and worship him, Holy Spirit begins to fill this room. And in that moment, there are things that happen that nothing I say could have brought about. Nothing this team's son could have brought about. Only him moving. <laughs> worship matters. It matters. Years ago, Denise and I went uh, uh, to a U2 concert in Atlanta. And... Uh, so somewhere in the middle of this secular rock and roll concert. I think we went to Josh in April to that, didn't we? In a secular, secular rock and roll concert, Bono stops and breaks out into amazing grace. Just a couple of words into the song. And 60,000 plus people started singing along to the point where Bono put his mic down. And everybody else began to sing. And I watched at this rock concert where people that didn't even realize what they were doing began to sing worship to Father God. Man. What, what happened? What happened in that moment? Here's what I believe they were so encapsulated when, when Bono began to sing, and then they heard somebody else sing, and they thought, I've got to join in too. I've got to sing too. Man, everybody else is singing. Let me join in. Why is your worship so important? Because maybe it may be the day that you're sitting beside somebody, and they can't worship, but they begin to hear you worship, and they get so encapsulated with that, they begin to worship too. I'm going to close with this. When you study the Bible, you see there are only two groups of people that Jesus goes looking for. That he goes searching for. One is the sinner. Jesus said, I came to seek and save those that were lost. He searches the sinner out. The second group of people, I think we kind of forget about. But I'll tell you this, if God thinks it's important enough to send out a search mission for, I think we better pay attention to it. And the second group of people come up in a conversation that Jesus is having with this woman in John chapter 4. And you can read the entire story there, but if you're not familiar with it, I'll give you the highlights. He shows up at this well, and there's this Samaritan woman going about her daily routine. This is where she shows up every day, this time of day. And she shows up there at a time of day when nobody else is going to be there because they know this woman's life. It's a small town. Anybody grow up in a small town, you know that small towns can, everybody knows your business. And so she came out at this time of day. Well, here comes Jesus. And in the middle of her daily routine and schedule, Jesus, hey, can you give me a cup of water? Side, little side note here. Let me tell you. 
in the middle of your routine. Jesus, watch it. He'll show up and interrupt your schedule, your routine, to have a conversation with you. Let's, let's get back. I start having this conversation, and, and Jesus starts telling her things about herself that he shouldn't know. And he, at one point, he says, hey, go get your husband. And she's like, I, I don't have a husband, Jesus. He's like, you're right. You've been married five times, and now you're living with a guy. Now you're, you, you're living with a man. What is Jesus doing here in this moment? He's forcing this woman to look inward. Because for so long, she had got her dignity, her value from a man. And she had tried over and over to fill this voice void with a relationship. Tried at least five times, and now she's living with one. And Jesus says, I want you to look deep inside. Because the problem is not the relationships. There's something deeper going on inside of you. There's something deeper going in, in, in you. And well, why would Jesus do that, PK? Did he want her to make her feel bad? Did he want to make, make her uh, look bad? No. It's because he wants her to see that the love he has for her far exceeds anything she may have done in her past, any place she may have gone, anything she may have done. And if she will just come to grips with this is who I really am, then Jesus can begin the healing in her. Because listen, until you own who you are, until you own the things going on in your life, he cannot heal you. Then Jesus finishes out this conversation. And it brings me to the second group of people that he goes looking for. It's found in John 4, 23. Jesus says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Check it out. The Father is looking, searching for those who will worship him that way. I love the way uh, J.B. Phillips translates it. It says this, the time is coming and already come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in reality. Indeed, the Father looks for men and women who will worship him like that. The Father's searching for worshipers. This, this scripture gives me so much stinking hope, Jesse. You know why? Because it doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, hey, the Father's looking for people that got it all together. The Father's looking for the best and the brightest. The Father is looking for people that haven't blown it. He's looking for the richest, the wealthiest. No, he says, hey, my Father's looking for true worship true worshipers what is worship remember the definition to regard with greater extravagant respect honor or devotion extravagant respect or admiration for or devotion to an object of esteem God is looking for men and women that have extravagant respect honor and devotion to People that are willing to get uncomfortable on a Sunday morning, on a Wednesday night, when they're out, they'll just, I don't care if anybody's looking. Here go, God. Here we go. See, 
to worship is simply us showing what we place value on, what we deem worthy of us getting uncomfortable, what we deem worthy of exerting energy, what we deem worthy of throwing your hands up or singing at the top of our lungs. True worship forces an outward response. I'm going to close with this psalm. This, was, this, this is the last psalm that actually gets credited to King David that he's read and it gets attributed to him writing it. And I want to read it from the Passion, uh, paraphrasing of it, because it is so rich. Psalms 145, starting with verse 1. And I'm going to tell you, there's some part of this at 9 a.m. I just like, wow. And I've read it. I've been over it and it still gets me. It says this, the psalmist, my heart explodes with praise to you. Now and forever, my heart bows in worship to you, my King and my God. Every day, I will lift up my praise to your name with praises that will last throughout eternity. Lord, you are great and worthy of the highest praise, for there is no end to the discovery of the greatness that surrounds you. Generation after generation will declare more of your greatness and declare more of your glory. Your magnificence, magnificent splendor and the miracles of your majesty are my constant meditation your awe-inspiring acts of power have everyone talking I'm telling everybody everywhere about your greatness get this it gets better our hearts bubble over as we celebrate the fame of your marvelous beauty bringing bliss to our hearts we shout with ecstatic joy over your breakthrough for us anybody had a breakthrough he goes on and says, your, oh man, this, oh, this hit me earlier. You're kind and tenderhearted to those who don't deserve it. And very patient with people who fail you. Can anybody say, thank you, God? Your love is like a flooding river overflowing its banks with kindness. God, everyone sees your goodness for your tender love is blended into everything you do. Everything you have made will praise you, fulfilling its purpose. Everything you made will praise you, fulfilling you. You want to know what your purpose is? That's it. And all your godly ones will be found bowing before you. They will tell the world of the lavish splendor of your kingdom and preach about your limitless power. They will demonstrate for all to see your miracles of might and reveal the glorious majesty of your kingdom. You are the Lord who reigns over your never-ending kingdom through all the ages of time and eternity. You are faithful to fulfill every promise you've made. You manifest yourself as kindness in all you do. Weak and feeble ones, you will sustain. Those bent over with burdens of shame, you will lift up. Come on. You have captured our attention, and the eyes of all look to you. You give what they hunger for at just the right time. Now, then look how David closes out his final psalm. I will praise you, Lord. Let everyone everywhere join me in praising the beautiful Lord of holiness from now through eternity. What's he saying? Hey, God's goodness, true worship must be an outward. It must be an outward thing. 
Charles Spurgeon did an exposition on this psalm. Here's what he said. If the joy of the Lord be your strength, why not express it in holy song? Why should not your joys have a tongue as well as the joys of ungodly men? When warriors win victories, they shout. Have we not won victories through Jesus Christ our Lord? He goes on. When men celebrate their festivals, they sing. Are there any festivals equals to ours? Our Holy Communion, our passage of the Red Sea, our Jubilee, our expectation, the coronation of our King, our hymn of victory over all the host of hell itself. Then he says this, Oh, surely, if the children of the earth sing, the children of heaven ought to sing far more often, far more loudly, far more harmoniously than they do. There's not a person in here that claims to be a Christian that would not say, yes, he is worthy of praise. So why is it every Sunday morning like a huge party when we come in here? Why is it in a huge... Why, why is he pulling teeth when we sing songs about, about his endless love, his grace, or being thrown upon the praises of a thousand generations? You are worthy, Lord, of all. What would happen if we came into this place Wednesday night or next Sunday morning and made a conscious decision, hey, nothing is going to get in the way of my worship of a faithful, loving, gracious, good God, nothing. What if we came in here with a mindset of, you know what? This week has not been good. In fact, it's kind of been the week from hell, but I'm not about to let that steal this encounter with God that I'm about to have. What if we came in with that mindset? Because I'm telling you, worship is vital. It is a fundamental of our Christian faith that we cannot afford to take for granted. What if we came in here with hands raised and began to sing, You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. 